0: We join together as a community in times of joy and in times of sorrow. We come together to create a safe and holy space for one another, a place to bring our many different emotions and thoughts and feelings, to grow and to strengthen and to encourage one another. Pastor Bud was one of the most encouraging, humble, and wise people that I had ever met. He would answer every email with the closing phrase, In His Grip, Folks tell me that he had been saying that phrase for over 30 years. I suppose he knew he always was and forever is in his grip. Let's hear some words now of wisdom and encouragement from Bud himself. This is from a sermon that he preached here almost exactly one year ago.
1: As the old gospel song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Both of my parents, both of my brothers, Aida, Shanafel, Kumunjung, George Haas, they're gone from me. The closer I draw to the end of my life here on this planet, the more I become aware of a kind of double pull that's taken place homesick for heaven, but not fed up with earth. I want to live my life ready for either. One day I'll be sleeping when death knocks on my door and I'll awake to find that I'm not homesick anymore. I've gone home, just gone home, where I belong. So when that day comes, when you get the word that I'm gone, don't believe it, I've just gone home.
2: Good morning everyone, my name is Peter, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, welcome to second service at Evergreen. I was really strong and I was doing great first service and now I'm losing some resolve here, so excuse me. Um, I'm really glad we get to be a church. A church isn't just about a collection of consumers, but it's a community uh, that's made a commitment And that commitment means that we get to ride the ups and downs together. And that's a privilege, and it's a gift. And I'm glad we get to be gathered today in this space. Our desire is that this will be a a space uh, for you, us collectively as a body, but also individually. I know that not everyone was connected to Bud the same way, uh, but this is the house that Bud built. (laughs) He spent three decades doing it. And when I first came here... um, I had this really powerful meeting with Bud where he laid his hand on my head and he prayed for me and I knelt in the parking lot of that Starbucks at the outside table there and I asked him to pray that God would give me a double portion of the ministry that he had here. And double portion means not it's going to be double, it just means the inheritance of And so uh, I'm just really humbled to stand here and to be able to say these words to you in such a time as this. Uh, But uh, this is kind of like Thanksgiving, and some of us are family and some of us are guests, but all are welcome to the table and eat and enjoy and take what's nourishing for you. Uh, I'm glad we get to be together today. I really am. I look forward to being together more in the days and weeks to come. We have a really special treat for us uh, Emmy did such an amazing job, the first service. I'm excited to present her to you today. I don't know her very well. I'm just beginning to get, get to know her. But uh, the things I imagine about her from what I know is that she's really sweet, she's really smart, and third S is that she's done really well in school and she has a recent success to celebrate with us and mention here today. So I'm really proud of her and thankful for her. Emmy, come on up and tell us your story. Thank you,
0: Peter. Well, good morning, and my story begins a little over five years ago. That winter, I experienced a back injury lifting a patient at work. The subsequent months were a blur, initially with severe pain and feeling trapped in a body that couldn't do the things that I had previously taken for granted. Not being able to run was the hardest part. At work, I couldn't lift or move patients, and desperately worked to help my team in other ways, yet was daily frustrated by my limitations. Not able to do the job I believed mattered, and with no clear timeline in my healing process, I began to apply to graduate school. There were many lonely days, many days when my prayers seemed to be going into empty space. Mother's Day that year was especially painful, as I felt abandoned by God in my desire to become a mom. Garrett and I had been married for over six years, with many years trying to become parents unsuccessfully. While I struggled with intense emotions, God was faithful. Over the course of that year, my back injury slowly healed, resulting in a core that was stronger than ever before. I also began the journey of medical evaluation and treatment for infertility. That spring, I had surgery, which determined that the orange-sized mass in my pelvis was a simple ovarian cyst. One month later, I was pregnant with James. I was overwhelmed and immensely thankful, and there they are now. Well, being pregnant so soon following a back injury was not ideal, it was a gift. While I did not plan to be pregnant while in graduate school, that autumn I began my doctoral studies at the University of Washington to become a nurse practitioner. James was born the following March, and he has been such a joy. Praise God, he was healthy. I, however, was hospitalized twice following his birth with significant complications. I agonized over the decision, but decided to take a leave of absence from school to heal as well as connect with James. And I am forever thankful for that time I had with him in his first six months. As any parent knows, parenthood challenges you and makes you grow in ways you didn't even know you needed to. It caused me to cry out to God for grace and wisdom daily, prayers I still pray. Despite the new challenges as well as joys of this season, I felt palpably carried by God in so many ways, especially when my dad, who was like Pastor Bud, a pastor, a teacher, a beloved beloved friend, um, was diagnosed with leukemia when James was only seven months old. I felt carried by God in and out of ICUs and crisis moments as I was in crisis, not my dad. He was calm and blessed people throughout his entire illness and death. And as a medical provider, I've seen a lot of deaths, and my dad was the most beautiful death I've ever witnessed, and it's still a blessing to me that I got to experience that. God has been a pillar of strength to me, not only through parenthood, but the journey of living after the death of a cherished father. The following years have brought more joys to our home. Johnny was born a little over two years ago, and he has been bringing life and excitement to our family daily. My perfectionism is gradually getting kicked out of me by his exuberance and determination. I don't know many two-year-olds or toddlers who like to eat sand and dirt, but he is one of them. There have been many moments of switching gears, going back and forth between intense clinical rotations and long academic days for me, long work days for Garrett, and parenting, wanting to do everything perfectly, and yet feeling like I was a part-time mom, even though parenting is never part-time anything. Lots of sacrifice, but again, lots of grace. Seeing God work through our imperfect parenting and providing for us and for our boys in so many ways. In this last March, nearly five years after starting, I finally graduated from my doctoral program. The experience has forced me to continually ask for help, and I could not have completed it without immense assistance from Garrett, our parents, siblings, and community. While reflecting on the last five years, I'm just filled with the gratitude and gratefulness for God. I do not deserve the gifts of faith in God or my family. While it initially felt like a curse, the back injury prompted me to apply to graduate school a lifelong goal. And while years of infertility were lonely and heartbreaking, because of them, I have accepted each baby and pregnancy as the gift they are. Baby number three, also a boy, is due in September. While the timeline has not been my choice, I see the last five years as a gift. And several verses that mean now to me more than ever before uh, are Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And also Psalm 31, 14 through 15, which were incredibly important verses to my dad and they are to me as well. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Thank you for listening to my story. And this morning our scripture reading is from the book of Revelation. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from chapter eight, verses three through five from the New International Version. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The word of the Lord.
2: Good morning once again. I want to talk about prayer today. We are in the book of Revelation in our series called Endgame, and we're talking about prayers. I think prayer is um, kind of a private topic in some ways, but I want to have kind of a corporate engagement with it in thought anyways. And I'm going to give us some time to pray throughout the sermon, and so we'll engage in a little bit of practice as well. But let's get activated a little bit. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I know I don't want to violate your privacy, but if you don't mind, just put up your hands if this is true of you. I'm going to ask a few questions, okay? Number one... How many of you say prayers on a pretty regular basis? Okay? How many of you believe your prayers matter in one way or another? All right? How many of you would pray even if prayer didn't involve God, but it's a little long, it is proven to be super beneficial? to your emotional health, mental game, and therefore helping you achieve your desired outcomes. I say this because, uh, you know, all the research is showing that prayer and activities like prayer are really helpful to human beings, that it creates uh, good chemicals in our body, it puts our head in the right space, and if you want to read a book about it, there's this really book, good book written by a non-believing secular neuro a uh, scientist called What God Does to Your Brain. So you can read that. Uh, but something you should do regardless of your belief about its uh, supernatural connection. Okay, here's another question. How many of you believe prayers have been misused in some way by people? Boy, hands shot up that time. You <laughs> have some feelings about that one. How many of you believe prayers have been misconstrued by people? That means misunderstood. How many of you would love, would like for prayers to work in reality? Like, that'd be a good thing. Yeah? Now I want to ask you a rhetorical question here that I've been asking of myself over these days. What would I be without my prayers? What would I be without my connection to a kind of power and vision and purpose and hope beyond myself? Would I be a better man? Would I have better character? Would I play the game better? Would I show up better? Would I be a better dad, a better husband, a better pastor? If I looked to myself for everything, if I felt like I have all the power that I need to solve my problems and become a better person and do my jobs better, if I saw myself as all that I need and I didn't need to sort of reach for something beyond myself, what kind of person would I be? It was a pretty scary mental exercise for me to go through And in all honesty, I came to the conclusion that I would be more arrogant than I already am. My ego would be bigger. I would be more frustrated more frequently. I would be more prone to anger. I would feel less hope. I would be way less calm, way more anxious. I really shudder to think who I would be if I didn't have access to prayer. Now, who would you trust more, Peter who prays or Peter who doesn't? Do you think my wife would trust me more and think of me as a more reliable husband and father if I prayed? If she walked into the bedroom and she saw me kneeling at my bedside praying, is that an image that comforts her or disgusts her? God, he's just wasting his time. Oh, would he feel like, I can trust this person. He's humble. He's reaching beyond himself. And just to uh, think about this question a little more, you know, from a different angle here, <clears throat> Bud, Pastor Bud, in his later ministry here at our church, has, has been known as the pastor who prays. Do you think he would be a better Pastor Bud or a worse Pastor Bud if he didn't pray? Can you picture Bud even without his prayers? I really have come to believe that prayer is really, maybe, the essence of what it means to be a human being. To be conscious enough to understand, to ask questions about why, and to hope for more. And and to be human means to know our limitations, to know we are weak, to know we're fallible and inconsistent. And to bridge the gap between hope and reality, as human beings, we pray. And I believe that whether you are a Christian for many years or you're not any kind of believer in a supernatural being at all, there is something in you that wants to pray, that needs to pray, that can't help but hope beyond your own strength. To be human is to pray. Uh, It's a big topic, and I don't think I can get through all of it uh, in a whole year of sermons. And so what I want to do today is to hit three categories about prayer that I think uh, are somehow in this text and helpful for us. And then I'm going to give us some times to pray, a minute or two. And uh, I'm going to invite you to do that. And whether you are a believer or not, I just ask you to do it. And if you are not somebody who prays, maybe today could be a good experiment for you. Uh, No judgment either way. So the table is open uh, for all. The first point uh, I want to highlight for us is that prayer at its heart is connectional uh, more than transactional. Psalm 141 says this, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so in the Old Testament, we have this, these practices of burning incense and making sacrifices before God. And the scriptures teach in Psalm and uh, in Exodus 30, when that was first instituted, and uh, in the book of Revelation that was read for us today, that prayer was always symbolized visually as incense and sacrifice. And so why did we have a sacrificial system? Why this burning of incense? Does God really have nostrils? Does he care about odor and smells? Is that what God is like? That's very anthropomorphic, you know. But it was really always a placeholder for prayer. And incense, you know, is this idea that uh, there's a smell or smoke that's rising up. Now stay with me for a second here. Human beings, because to be human is to know our actual but feel our potential. There's always something better and higher, and we kind of spatially orient that experience upward. And so, you know, when we have uh, the opportunity to create a superhuman being, right? We made Superman, and Superman was pretty cool when he was first made. He, like, ran really fast. And then Superman could, like, jump really far, and then when we got to the peak of our imagination, you know what Superman could do? He could fly. If I gave you the choice to say you can have Superman's powers, but you get the choice, you get options here. You get to either run really fast, or you get to uh, just jump really far, or you get to fly. 100% 100% of you, I believe, would choose to fly. That's the option package you would pick. Why run when you can fly? And it's, I think there's something innate in us that wants to go high. And we understand that sort of God or whatever God stands for, and if you believe God's imagined, whatever is the reason why we imagine God, he is above us. And so part of... God's way of helping us experience this connection to him, even if we don't name him as him, is incense and sacrifice, this aroma that rises up, that there is God above and he's able to receive. And through this flying smoke or incense, we get to somehow feel this sense of connection. And indeed, that's what prayer is for, to be connected to God more than to get things from God. You feel that need, that desire, that something so intrinsic to what it means to be you, to reach up somehow. The Bible says that God's house is primarily defined as a house of prayer. That to connect to God, you pray. And the constant refrain and encouragement in scripture is that God wants to interact with us through prayer. Uh, All my sermon illustrations uh, for these three points uh, are email exchanges between Bud and I. Uh, Since he went to Bali, uh, he had been emailing me every week. And we had this nice little rhythm going. And uh, these emails were really uh, meaningful for me to read through. And so I'm going to include little snippets of those emails for us as illustrations. This is the first one. Dear Pastor Peter, sitting here in our little Bali home and listening to your message, I was struck and encouraged by its truth and biblical basis. As I walk the cramped and heavily traveled lanes, I see the daily offerings of fruit, flowers, and incense in front of every single home or business. Last night at our Bible study, the sharing from the wide variety of backgrounds and beliefs led me to seek to help these dear ones to stand firm and hold on so grateful to God that I can be challenged and fed by your teaching and also my son Jeff's as well. God is good in his grip and grateful, Bud. As I got to know Bud over the last seven years, I came to believe that Bud wasn't after anything from God, but he was after God himself. That Bud understood what it meant to pray and why he prayed. So I want to invite you now to close your eyes and I want to invite you for a minute or two to pray uh, some simple prayers of acknowledging your need to connect to him who is above. For you to have a sense of meaning and hope and power. You long as a human being to be connected to God himself. God, we long to be connected to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, prayer is transformational. Matthew 6 says this, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Uh, There's a kind of disservice that's been uh, done primarily by us as we read this passage in Revelation. Um, If you research this verse, uh, you'll find that maybe 8 out of 10 of the articles and commentaries you hit mistakenly talk about, uh, they paint this image of a golden bowl in heaven. And it's this empty bowl, and it's sort of off balance a little bit, and there's a proneness for it to tip. But it can't tip until it has some weight in it. And the weight are kind of like our prayers. And so as we pray and as we increase the frequency of our prayers and the number of words we use, and we sort of have to kind of get into a more, uh, as Jesus puts it in Matthew 6, a pagan mindset and get superstitious. And we just kind of start throwing up prayers as many as we can. The bowl gets heavy and imbalanced. And then eventually it tips. And when it tips, it pours down, sort of answers to those prayers on the earth. And so it kind of creates in us a mindset where God is kind of reluctant, and he doesn't really want to help us, And you know, but persistence beats resistance. So if you pray a lot, and if you really bother him and are annoying to him maybe, then and only then will he answer our prayers. It's a kind of transactional view of prayer. But in reality, what Jesus teaches is that God already knows. It's not information he's after. He's not wondering, gosh, I wish Peter would just tell me because then I would do it. He just—he really has a communication issue. That's not God's issue about me and prayer. But notice in this chapter, it's about the altar. It's that I am offered up. I'm not trying to change God. God is waiting for me to change. C.S. Lewis says it really succinctly. He says, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Jesus, when he's teaching on prayer, he has this really pithy statement. He says, whatever you ask for. Now, that word whatever, that's a kind of word human beings love to run with. We love it. It's like not just three wishes. It's as many wishes as we want. We could even wish for more wishes right? Whatever you want, ask in my name. And that's really, really loaded. See, back in Jesus' time, this idea of asking in somebody else's name or writing in somebody's name or doing anything in somebody's name was the exact same thing as that person doing it themselves. And so, for example, scholars know that Uh, The actual apostle Peter didn't write second or third Peter, but it was probably a disciple, maybe even a team of disciples of Peter who wrote those letters. But those letters don't say that because they didn't have to. If a disciple of Peter wrote in Peter's name, it's exactly the same thing as if Peter himself wrote it. That's the way it was. And so when Jesus in that cultural context says, ask for anything, in my name meaning i want you to have the eyes that i have so that you see what i see i want you to have the heart that i have so that you love as i love i want you to have the wisdom that i have that is from above i want you to have the end game in mind the way i have the end game in mind and with all of that awareness and knowledge and wisdom and truth then as for anything it'll be done no problem because if you ask it in my name, it's as if I am doing it myself, and that's why he will answer it. What does it take? How long does it take for you to get to the place where you are asking for things actually in his name and not in your name? And I do this mental exercise, or I think about all the things that I've asked for over the years when I wanted it. If God had granted things, to me, when I ask for things in my name, i be dead. That's the truth. I don't have the wisdom that I need. I don't have the wherewithal and the perspective and the sense of timing. Often, I find out I don't really want what I thought I wanted. And so not only should I ask in Jesus' name, I want to ask in Jesus' name. And so when we pray What does the passage say? It's not just answer, but it's mixed with fire. And then it's hurled to the earth. Meaning it's mixed with God's power, God's wisdom. And so there's a kind of transformation that needs to happen for me in me first. When you pray and you come before God, understand it's an engagement on your part in a process of not changing God, but changing you, of not moving his hand, but shaping your heart. That's what prayer is, engagement in a process. Here's Bud, my dear pastor. I sit here at my desk and hear your message. Thank you for articulating the questions and hunger in my heart With a word of relevance and truth and eternal hope in his grip and grateful, Bud. When he prayed, he was after truth. He was after hope. He was praying in Jesus' name. And so, even as Bud prayed for him to be changed and to have the hunger in his heart cultivated, I want to invite you to pray now. Close your eyes couple of minutes i want you to bring yourself before god confess yourself to god ask him for his eyes ask him for his heart ask him for his mind ask him for his strength God, we need you. And that's why we come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And third, we understand from our passage today that prayer is impactful. It says this: And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. I love this image. I love this idea. It almost feels Hollywood that we pray, but our prayers are so powerless if they're not received by God and mixed with fire and then hurled to the earth. And notice, instead of the earth sort of becoming disintegrated, they're sort of rumbling, thunder, lightning. It's like activities happening. It's a kind of... Power that's entered the atmosphere. It's activating. I kind of imagine like Frankenstein, you know, coming to life. You know, there's something happening and it gets exciting. Daniel chapter 10 verse 11 talks about how heaven and earth is shaken by prayer. And even angels and demons are impacted by prayer. And it's continually offered meaning that there's a kind of mixing with God's wisdom and power and his sense of timing throughout history. And God, who lives outside our limitations of time, has the plan and the ability to execute that plan. And so the prayers that, for example, saints of old, like Abraham, prayed, they went up to God, and God's holding it in this bowl. And he says, not yet, Abraham. Your intention was good. Your idea is good. But your timing is terrible and then me thousands of years later i get to experience an answer to abraham's prayer from thousands of years ago because there's a constant hurling of our prayers back to the earth after he receives it and mixes it with fire prayer is powerful it does something it's impactful And I love that it transcends time and space. We read in the New Testament that there are these things that saints of old had prayed for. And angels have been waiting throughout time and history and longingly looking for it to come to fruition. And now, the New Testament says, we get to see unfolding before us the answers to prayers, the longings that angels have had for thousands of years. Just because you pray something and it doesn't happen doesn't mean that you were wrong or that God didn't hear your prayers. It just means that you're not as wise as he is. Your sense of timing isn't as good as his is. And so he's going to hold it, and then he's going to mix it, and then he's going to hurl it in due time because the plan is his and the execution is his. You have been made in God's image, and God's spirit is in you, and when you pray, you are onto something. Not nothing. And maybe thousands of years later, maybe a few days later, maybe a few years later, we will begin to see the answering of all of our prayers, but all in due time. Uh, Pastor Bud, he was going out to dinner with Donna and then he uh, had an accident and he fell backwards. And he had hit his head pretty hard, but he felt okay initially. And then while he was sitting at dinner, he began to get a headache. And Donna had the wherewithal to realize something bigger was happening. And so she uh, made him go to the emergency room. And then they realized that he had a, a brain bleed, and then he was in a coma. And then uh, she began to see that night that this wasn't going to be good. And then she realized what was going to happen if he did even awake from the coma, uh, that that's not the kind of life that Bud would want to live. And she had this overwhelming sort of battle with God. And at 3 a.m., she came to realize that it was time for Bud to go. And so she began to pray fervently that God would take Bud home. And then at 3.30, 30 minutes later, Bud passed. Now, it's up to you to interpret the cause and effect there. Here's an email from uh, Bud. He says this. Today, uh, my valued pastor, Peter, today I have become very aware that I am 84 years old. I don't seem to have the same stamina to keep a rapid pace like I once did. Last Tuesday, Bible study; Thursday, Monday Thursday worship with our parent church and a time of foot washing and prayer. Donna soloed. Friday, Good Friday worship; we sang a duet. I preached. Easter Sunday, 6:45 a.m. Sunrise service on the beach of the Grand Hyatt Hotel. Donna sang, I preached. 10.30 a.m. Easter worship, I preached today, fighting a cold, poor sleep, preparing for another Bible study. However, the great good news is he is risen. I am so thankful to our risen Lord for your Easter message. I am so grateful to Eden for her honest and mysterious story. Now, pastor, that I have been fed by you and our Lord, I am ready to hit the road of the coming week, thinking and praying for you daily, hoping that you are doing the same for us, in his grip and grateful. Bud, parentheses, and Donna. Now, prayer is impactful. I really believe this. I have experiences of this. I have many stories of this. I've heard all of your stories. And many, thousands, forever, until we see Jesus again, will testify to the effectiveness and the reality of prayer. But one point I want to make, especially to Christians, is that not only are prayers effective and, and impactful in that God responds to prayer, but also it activates us into action. Prayer doesn't lead to passivity, but activates our activity. It makes us diligent. It, it triggers our work ethic. It causes us to be engaged even more not less. And we see that very much in Bud's crazy, busy schedule. He wasn't vacationing in Bali. But because Bud prayed, Bud worked hard. I want to invite you to close your eyes in our final time of prayer. And I'm going to give you just one minute on this one. I want you to construct a sentence For one thing that you want to see happen, either in you or in a situation, I want you to pray that God will do it, and I want you to pray that God would activate you to action towards that outcome as well. So construct that sentence and say the sentence prayer. God, energize us to work in our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. As we conclude here, I want to read one last email from Bud. He says this, My dear pastor, this is really the first sermon I have heard on worthy that has been worthy. I am blessed and my jaw drops when I am conscious of how near to the throne scene I am at my age. Terrific and awesome. The old guy in Bali. I think Bud knew. I think he knew before he went to Bali. I think Donna knew. Bud knew when he wrote me this email. Bud knew when he was writing that sermon last year for our church. Bud knew because he prayed, because he was connected to God. He knew to whom he belonged. whom he would return but pray for us who came to him every week in that chair in that corner right there on my left and during our response song and after the service i want to invite you if you want to sit in that chair and have a moment with bud and god and for our final closing here i have some verses i'm gonna run through and i want you to pray these verses Let it mingle with your heart and your soul and say them back to God and to your soul as prayers.